Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We really believe the next 35 minutes will help you. We pray God speaks to you through this week's message. Amen. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about me. So later when we're having a conversation afterwards, don't laugh. Sympathise. I grew up in a small country town called Wellington. It's in New South Wales. A farming district town had about five or 6,000 people in it. My brothers and my friends and I used to ride around in a little gang on weekends. We weren't punks, but we were toughies. At least we thought we were. And every now and then a respectable adult would, you know, stop me in my tracks and say, and what's your name, Sonny? And I'd look up with my freckly little face. I won a competition in a shopping centre once for having the most freckles. I won a can of Coke. That was the first thing I ever remember winning. And it wasn't the greatest day of my life. Anyway, I would look up at him with my freaky little face and I would say, I'm Pete Buckley. Oh, Pete Buckley. You're Kevin Buckley's son. I'd say, yeah. Every now and then, that would result in something splendid. An extra couple of lollies in the bag. He was the shop owner. Once I was at the swimming pool, and the swimming pool owner said, Nah, you can go through. I know Kevin Buckley. (laughs) Kevin Buckley came with benefits. (laughs) At that very young and sort of influenceable age, I began to understand the power of identity. So I was name dropping all the time. I'd go into a shop. I'm Kevin Buckley's son. See what happened. I once forgot my money. And told the guy I was Kevin Buckley's son. He gave me a 10-cent water pistol for free (laughs) because I was Kevin Buckley's son. Later on in life, as we go through school and we grow up a little bit and we become young adults, you know, you're in secondary school, these same adults ask me a different question. They would say to me, so, Pete, what are you going to do when you finish school? Now, the most common answer and the easiest one was, I don't know. But you know what? They don't you nothing. There was no credibility in that. There was no freebies in that. If you said something intelligent, like, well, I'm going to be a builder, or I'm going to be a doctor, or I'm going to be a surveyor, then you had a conversation with that person. You got some respect from that person. It's powerful if you answer the question right. Later, when I'd I'd finished I did go to university, I'd finished university, I did a degree in surveying there and someone would say to me, so what do you do, son? You could say I'm a professional job dodger. But that didn't get you much credibility. If you said you were a professional person, a a surveyor, if you said you had your own building business or you were a plumber or something, conversation opened doors for you. And I learned at a very young age how important identity was. But that all came crashing down about 20 years later. Um, I was cleaning the gutters on the roof of my house, which was double story at the back, and never had a fear of heights in my life. But I slipped and almost fell off the roof. <clears throat> and I had this picture in my mind that sticks with me till this day of me in a crumpled heap on the ground with all the branches of the trees that I fell through impaled through me. 
That's the picture I had as I laid on that roof. I was frozen. I stuck to that roof like a, a lizard for about half an hour. I seriously could not move a muscle. I was paralyzed with the fear of falling off that roof. It took me a, a good while to slither off the roof like a slug. Seriously, I crawled off on my stomach and down the ladder and got to the ground. Oh, the ground. It was so good to get to the ground. Has anybody else here ever, ever had a fear of heights? Yeah, well, you, you can identify with that. So here's me walking around in my backyard just going, oh, oh, I didn't die, you know. I'm so glad Denise didn't come home and find me crumpled up on the ground, you know. That was, that was such a, and, as I, and then I, I, I walk past the ladder. I'm walking past the ladder, and every time I walk past the ladder, I feel sick. And I stood there and looked at the ladder, and I, the very thought of climbing up that ladder made me almost throw up. And I knew right there and then, no, 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 no. You know what I'm going to say, don't you? You've got to get back up the ladder. Well, I tried all my identities. I'm Kevin Buckley's son. Yeah, that didn't work. I went to university. Ladder, you listen to me. None of the things that I understood that identified me and gave me, you know, shape as a person helped me. All of those things were nothing. The fact that I was an educated person or an uneducated person or a wealthy person or I lived in a big house or I drove a nice car or I had letters after my name, none of that gave me victory in that moment. You know what I'm talking about? But I thank God there's a scripture that says, he didn't give me a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and a sound mind. You know, I shouted that thing out in my backyard as I climbed that ladder. Never once again did I ever have a fear of heights. Henry Thoreau said it really well. He said, the mass of men, the mass of humanity live lives of quiet desperation. I've often wondered when I've read that quote, what the heck does that mean? I know what it means now because I understood that day as I faced that ladder, that ladder, the quiet desperation that was in my soul. I was so afraid that I'd have that fear with me for the rest of my life. And nothing that I could draw on from my history or my education or my, you know, my life helped me. So here's my, my, my scripture for today, my, my all-conquering, all-powerful scripture for today. It's a scripture from Proverbs. I hope you like it. It's a simple one. If you remember nothing, remember this only today. Proverbs 18 verse 14 says, A man's spirit sustains him through infirmity, but a broken spirit who can bear. You know what? The, one, of, one translation of that verse says this. It's who you are that rescues you in times of trouble. Oh my gosh. It's who you are, not what you are. It didn't matter that I was Kevin Buckley's son that day. That was not going to save me. It was not going to get me back up on that ladder. It's who you are on the inside. It's who you are. It's what you know about yourself that rescues you in times of trouble. Hey, you want to live out the kingdom of God? It's got to start with you. It's got to start inside you. Money comes, money goes. People come, people go. Positions of influence for you will come and go. Great jobs will come and go. Nice cars will come and go. But you know what? The thing that will never leave you is what you believe about yourself. And if it's broken and you're in trouble, you're really in trouble. 
because you can't get back up the ladder. And you know what? The fear becomes part of your identity. You can't win unless there's something on the inside that's true and whole and strong. I want to tell you a story about a lady who, um, who is an inspiration, although her life was a failure. Her name is Hetty Green. You may have heard me mention her before. It's one of my favorite stories. I love it so much. Hetty Green was a, a gregacious, eccentric, clever woman who built a significant and wealthy empire. In 1916, at the age of 81, she died. And she left behind $4.5 billion of wealth. You might say today she had a rather successful life, yeah? Wouldn't you think? You probably know there's more coming. Let me tell you how Hetty lived the last 10 or so years of her life. She never turned the heating on in the mansion she lived in. Never turned the heating on. You know what she did? She lined the rooms that she lived in with newspaper to keep them warm in the winter. She lived literally on 15 cent pies and secondhand biscuits, which she walked miles to buy. She suffered the last 10 years of her life with a terrible hernia that gave her daily pain rather than spend $150 to have it fixed. Her son broke his leg. She treated him at home rather than having him to the doctors. He lost the lower part of his left leg below the knee to gangrene because of that. And the list goes on and on and on. Why? Why? Somewhere in Hetty's life, something happened. She got ripped off. She got financially abused somewhere and decided it was safer not to spend money. She became fearful that she would lose her wealth that she would squander it. So she decided never to spend any of it and left behind $4.5 billion. She could have spent to her heart's content every day and still had plenty. What went wrong? I wonder if you and I were in Hetty's world and we were to have a conversation with her. Say, so tell us, Hetty, how, how are you going today? What's, what's going on? Well, yeah, you know, I have this fear I have this fear that if I start spending, I won't be able to stop. And, and soon the $4.5 billion will be gone. You look at Hetty and go, what? What is, what? Where are you getting that from? Well, this happened the other day and a couple of weeks ago this happened and, and, and that happened. And, and all of a sudden I'm afraid to put money in my pocket. I'm afraid to go to my bank account. I just give myself you know, a few dollars each week to spend and that's it. She said, I just feel so afraid that once I start, I'll never be able to stop. This fear just, I wake up in the morning and there it is. I go to sleep at night and there it is. I pray and sometimes it eases up a little bit, but then it comes back again. I, I even had some of my friends pray with me at my life group. And, and, you know, it was a great night. I woke up the next morning. I felt great. I put a few dollars in my pocket. I got to the shop. I couldn't spend it. The fear came again. You know what she's going through? Exactly the same as I went through when I walked past that ladder. Can you feel it? You want to tell me this? Is Hetty Green missing the mark of what her life's about? Is that... Scripture we had up there before, not true for her. The second part of it, a broken spirit, who can bear? Something's broken. Can she live out the kingdom of God? No. Why? Because fear's taken root and defined her. Anxiety's taken root and defined her. Insecurity's taken root. That's defining her. Whenever she walks past money, that's what she feels. You know what she was born for? Philanthropy. 
She was born to give. She was born to share. She was born to be generous. She was born to walk the streets and change the lives of every person she met because of her financial prowess, her power with money, her gift from God. Was she living the life? No, not that life. What would you have said to her? Hedy, that, that, that's not the Hedy I know. That's not the life you're meant to live. I thank God that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who said things just like this. John chapter 10, verse 10. Maybe my favorite scripture in John chapter 10. He says, I've come to give you life and give it to you more abundantly. The New English translation says, I have come to give you life, the life you were meant to live. That's very personal. That's not just a scripture saying, yeah, look, you know, every one of you have a bit of abundant life. Yeah, yeah, spread it around, spread it around. No, no, no. He was far more specific. He was pointing at you and me. He said, I've come to give you life. Now listen, it's the life you were meant to live. And in Romans we read, uh, you know, the, the devil wants to conform us to this world. He wants us to be ordinary. He wants us to be average. But God wants us, you to be the very best you that you can be. There's not a general sort of standard. There's a specific one. It's you. Who are you? It's who you are that rescues you in times of trouble, not where you're educated. Not how much money you own, not how much power you wield. When the chips are down, you're facing your own ladder and the fear based on the picture you've got in your mind is a pulsating force on the inside of you. It's who you believe yourself to be that rescues you in that moment. If for some reason that thing hounds you and you can't beat it, I want to teach a simple solution. Get a hold of John 10.10 and ask for that promise to become real in your life. Give me the life I was meant to live. Heal my spirit. You know, we're a three-part being. We are a spirit. We have a soul. We live in a body. But it's your spirit. It's who you are on the inside that defines you. Don't let the fear of failure define you. You know, we get bumped all the time in life. The problem is, after the bump, we don't want to play anymore. I used to play football with my two brothers. I was the smallest. They were both giants. We used to play football in our backyard. And they would, like, I didn't have to tackle me that hard, for goodness sake. I would say, well, you play by yourselves then, and I'd walk away. You get bumped, and you don't want to play anymore. That's not what life's about. You get bumped, and you stand up. You get bumped, and you stand up. Life will keep on bumping you. The only difference is whether or not you keep standing up. I will keep running into fears every season of my life. When I'm on a journey of becoming something new or different, I will have my own almost slipping off the roof experience. What am I going to do? Well, I don't want to play anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to go and do this now. No, don't let the fear define you. Don't let that moment define you. Let the moment of discovery define you. A very good friend of mine once said to me, and I, I think he was quoting somebody else, but I'll quote him. His name was Max Myers. And he said to me, whenever you fall down, have a good look around for what you can pick up because there's a reason you're there. Yeah. Find that and you'll find something that defines you. Don't dwell on why you fell. 
dwell on what there is to find about you. The more we discover ourselves, the more we discover the kingdom of God in us. And the more we discover both of those things, the more naturally we will live out the kingdom of God. And then others will come and knock in and say, why is it? How, how did you do that? How do you stay so buoyant? How do you stay so happy? How do you stay so whatever it is about you? Because the Bible says when they come and ask, you should have an answer. Your answer has got to be, I know who I am. I'm not perfect and I don't know everything. But right now, I know this. This is who I am. It's, it's probably worthwhile knowing that there's other great men in the Bible, in fact, heroes of mine and yours, I'm sure, who had opportunity to struggle through these same issues. One of them's David. He was the youngest of the sons of Jesse. All of the brothers, the older brothers, went to war. It was a bit of a badge of honour to go to war then, to be in Saul's army. So all the other brothers go. He's left at home shepherding the sheep. But eventually dad says to him, David, go to the battlefront, find out how your brothers are doing. Of course, he gets there and he picks a fight with Goliath. Goliath is the giant of the Philistine army. None of the other Israelites would fight him because he was too big. And David said, well, he's defying the armies of the living God. Surely someone will fight him. He's the smallest man there. He's completely unskilled in any battle tactics at all. But he says, I'll fight you, you big fool. Into the bargain. And Saul says, come into my tent. Well, David got pretty excited about that because he had such respect and honour for Saul. And he says, here, put my armour on. And David probably thought, oh, good deal. At least he won't be able to crush me. Puts the armour on. Take my sword. So here's David wandering around the Israelite camp with Saul's armour on. How do you think that worked? He's in clumsy town. It's so heavy, he's never worn anything like it before. He can't even see out the two holes because they're not where his eyes are. The sword's a two-man lift. So here's David clunking around and all the Israelite soldiers are going, <laughs> this is going to be fun. I reckon David's looking at all of that and feeling exactly the same way as I looked at my ladder. I reckon he's feeling exactly the same way as when you looked at your challenges. He's thinking, I'm going down today. I'm not going to make it. All of a sudden, he was afraid. How am I going to fight with all this on? You know what? David had to dig down deep inside who he was as a person and ask the question, what am I doing here? Who am I? Because that's what will rescue me in this time of great trouble. The, 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 the longer he stayed in that armour, the bigger Goliath looked. And that's how fear works. You know what? He took the armour off. And you'll find these words in, in David's story, something like this. He said, you know what? I killed a bear. And all of a sudden his chest came out a little bit. I've killed a lion. His shoulders went back. This guy's no different. I did that not as a warrior, not as an armed warrior, not as a master with a sword and a spear. I did it as a shepherd. You know what David's revelation was that day? I can do this. I'm a shepherd. What might your revelation be? I can do this. I'm a mother. I can do this. I'm a father. It doesn't need to be any more than that. Who are you? Who are you right there in that moment? Who are you? Do you want to be what the fear says or do you want to be what the truth of God says in your heart? So we beat Goliath, as you know. John the Baptist was similar. He was born to a life of, you know, of a prophet. He lived most of his life on the 
back of the desert somewhere eating honey and grasshoppers, clothed in rough animal hair. Finally, his time comes and he comes into town and he starts saying, you guys, repent. He started declaring the kingdom of God to the people who had never seen him before, probably had no respect for him whatsoever. It wasn't long before the religious leaders of the day lined him up and said, so where did you go to school? Who's your father? Perhaps you're Elijah, returned, the prophet. No, well, maybe you're the, the Christ. And, and John the Baptist is sitting there going, well, no, I'm not educated. No, I'm not Elijah. No, I'm not the Christ. Oh, gee, I don't have much to go on, do I? Where have you been? All the, uh, Where did you grow up in the desert? What have you been doing out there? Just prophesying to the camels. <laughs> He's got a great repertoire of education, hasn't he? How do you think he was feeling right there in that moment? Oh, dear. I think I'll go back to the desert. You know, he did not say that. You know what he said, don't you? He said, stop, I am. It's a good way to start. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Come on. It's who you are that rescues you when you're in trouble. If you don't know, when you're in trouble, if you don't know who you are, then you're really in trouble. He would have sleeked, slunk off back into the desert that day and probably never returned if he didn't dig deep enough to find the answer to the question who he was, just like David. And one of my favourites, Nehemiah, love Nehemiah, he had worked his way up through the kitchen to become the king's cupbearer, a very powerful position in the kitchen. God said to him, oh, and then knocked that off. He said, go rebuild Jerusalem for me. So Nehemiah, you know the story, off he went. Here he is standing on a hill overlooking a pile of burning rubble and his heart soars. I'm so excited. Can you imagine being excited about that? But all the kings from around Jerusalem came and worked together to discourage him. Why? Because they didn't want Jerusalem rebuilt. It represented a threat to them. And after they'd all said their piece, Nehemiah looked out over the smoking pile of rubbles and said, step aside, I have a great project. I am the man who will, who will rebuild this city. I am the man who will rebuild this city. Are you a builder? No. Perhaps you're an architect? No. Oh, well, you wouldn't have some engineering qualifications, I guess, wouldn't you? Actually, no, but I can cook you a real good pancake. <laughs> so step aside because I'm rebuilding. What is it? Come on. There's always plenty of reasons for you to fail. But there'll always be one for you not to. These guys can seem like they're a bit pie in the sky for us, but you know, often the simplest answer is the best. None of us would be here today, I'm sure, if it wasn't for the love of a mother. Mothers love unconditionally. That's what they do. One of the greatest things that you can say about yourself, if you're a woman is, I can do this. I'm a mother. Mums love when kids are unlovable. We need mums to be mums. Mums who can stand up and say, step aside everybody, this is my teenager. I can do this. I can love them right now. I can let them know there's a better way than this just by loving them. I can do this. And dads, dads are the same. Dads take the hits. Dads stand up and say, I'll look after the finances. I'll look after the issues. Dads take hits. They carry weight for their kids. One of the best things you can say, Dad, to everything else that's going on in a family situation is step aside. 
I'm the dad. I'll take this hit. I'll take responsibility. It's not about being a prophet or a city builder or a John the Baptist voice of one crying in the wilderness. Often the, the best answer, the most powerful answer is the simplest one. It comes and defines who you are. I'm the one who loves this man. I'm the one who loves this woman. I'm the one who loves these kids. I have a very, very good friend of mine who is the most generous person I know in the world. He doesn't have a lot of money and he doesn't give away a lot of money, but he always gives, always gives something, somewhere, wherever he is. And when someone says to him, why did you do that? Here's his answer. It's who I am. Oh boy, I like that. Who are you? Who are you? Find what defines you. Be that person all the time. And that will change and grow and morph and you'll become better and different and and change. But know who you are and be that person. Let me give you a few helping hints, if I can. Three. You need a relationship with the Holy Spirit. First, First is this. First, it's better to ask the question than answer it. Don't try and answer the question. Just be satisfied that you're asking yourself the question. The answer will come. And here's the first. You need a relationship with the Holy Spirit because Jesus said, I'm going away, but I'm, I'm sending another, the helper. He'll come and he will teach you. Yeah? What will he teach you? About yourself. About who you are. About who you are. About knowing who, who you can be. You need a relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's a huge subject all in itself, but an easy one just to mention today. The second one is you need a relationship with the Word of God. Psalm 119 says, Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. When you get the Word of God dribbling into your life every day, just through your reading and your meditating it, every now and then, boom, one of those little gems hits you. And it's not just a revelation about something God said. It's a revelation about something God said about you. Boom. That's what you can bank on. That's what you can speak back to your ladders. That's what you can say to your fears when they try and define you and, and constrict you and, and restrict you. They're the powerful words. You need a relationship with the Holy Spirit. You need a relationship with the Word of God. And the third one is... You need a relationship with some good Christian people. It's a true saying that bad company corrupts good morals. That's true. But the better one is good company helps build good life. Let me finish with one story. Gabby, oh, thank you. She's on her way. What timing? Um, In fact, the whole band can come. That'd be great. This is a true story too. A lady called Anne. She'd just been through the... No, her name was Jean, sorry. Her next-door neighbour was Anne. This lady's Jean. She had just been through a terrible divorce. She had three small children, been through a terrible divorce and decided that rather than live in the town where her husband was, she was going to move back to the to town where her mum and dad and brother and sister lived. So she moved back there. <clears throat> so she did two of the most stressful things you can ever do. One is go through a divorce and two is move. She got to the town... House was full of boxes. Enrolled the kids in school. It's Saturday afternoon. She's searching through all the boxes to find the kids' school clothes and school books and everything else. There's a knock at the door. It's the next door neighbour. Her name is Anne. 
she's got this old wooden box under her arm and she goes, hi, I'm Anne, I'm next door. I know that you've just moved in and are your kids going to school on Monday? And uh, Jean says, well, yes, they are. And she said, Anne says to her, could you get their school shoes for me? I'm going to clean them. Oh, sure. She sat there for 45 minutes and cleaned those shoes like they were new. When she walked out of the house, Jean burst into tears. She cried for an hour because she felt someone cared. They were good tears. Later, her and Anne became very good friends and she said to Anne one day, why did you come to my house that day? He was her answer. She said, that's just what I do. She said, I always look for someone to help because that's just who I am. That's just what I do. So Anne's question to us today is, who are you? Because that's what you should do. Who you are and what you do are the same. You're not what you do if it doesn't reflect who you are. We're going to sing this, uh, this song in a moment. Again, the last song and the name of it escapes me. It's the Amazing Grace one. Is that it? Yeah, thank you. I've got two questions to put out there and, and ask you to, to think about and respond to. It's, it's the beginning of a, of a new season for us as a church, I believe, and for you and I individually as people. The obvious first question is, who are you? If you don't know the answer to that question, that's fine. All you need to take home today is the question. Just take the question and know this. It's who you are that rescues you in times of trouble. That's all. That's all that's going to matter. Finding who you are is the most important thing you can do in the journey of delivering the kingdom of God. The second question is this. If your spirit is broken, if, if for some reason it's, it's in damage control and you're constantly coming up against it, a little bit like Hedy Green, know this 100% for sure that Jesus Christ is here in this building today to personally put his arm around you and say, I've come to give you life. And then he'll use your name. I've come to give you life, Pete. I've come to give you the life that you were meant to live. If you've never had that before, if you've never felt that surge of, of power inside you that gives you victory over fear and insecurity and doubt, you can have that today. It's nothing special. It's just Jesus giving you the life that you were meant to live. He doesn't want you to get to the end and go, oh, you mean I could have had that? He wants you to have that now. We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.